welcome to States Up, KTSW's monthly one-on-one with Texas State University President Kelly Danfis. In this month's episode, we talk with the president about what he calls his hopes and aspirations high for Texas State. That includes the progress Texas State is making to become a top-tier research university. We'll also discuss efforts to increase enrollment at the university and the growing pains that have come along with more students on campus. Plus, will Texas State get a funding boost as the Texas legislature announces a significant budget surplus? I'm your host, Jill Ament. I'm a faculty advisor for KTSW 89.9 and a lecturer of practice in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Texas State University. And joining me now is Texas State President Kelly Danfis. Kelly, welcome back. Great to see you. Yes. Um, okay, I know it's February, but this is the first episode of the year. So I did want to ask you, what were your New Year's resolutions, if you had any? For me, it's always been lose weight, work out more, or whatever. Um, but I started something a while back. I read a book called The One Word That Will Change Your Life. And it's the whole strategy behind it is that you select a word that kind of will be your word for the year. And you do that over the winter break. And then like January 1st, you kind of announce what your word is. And so I started doing that about eight years ago. And so my words have been things like move and uh, lead and inspire and whatever. And this year, my words subtract. And the idea there is based on a book that I read recently, is that um, we can actually gain something by subtracting something. And so in our world, we tend to always want to accumulate and do more and more and more. Universities are like this. We always add academic programs. We never stop doing things that probably we should stop doing. Um, Well, I know that you also have some, again, you know, last semester with you coming on board as the new president, a lot of goals, uh, a lot of aspirations and um, you you sent out an email specifically to faculty and staff earlier this semester, just your hopes and aspirations on high, which is a play on from the Texas State uh, alma mater song. Um, it, it was a lot. I mean, there th- it, th- it does lot. seem like there's a lot going on. So if you could just give me a you know some of the the highlights of that that agenda and and um, yeah, first just give me some of the highlights. Yeah, so it's great. Um, one of the things I when I was applying for the job, there was certainly a prospectus about what they were looking for in the next president, and um, I was taken by that line in in the alma mater that says "Mother of Hopes and Aspirations High." And the the idea here is um, we've got. We're a great university already, but there's some things we could do to become greater. Uh, We've got a lot of opportunities in front of us uh, that we should be focusing on. Uh, So we're not, again, this goes back to the idea of subtraction. Instead of trying to do everything all the time and be a jack of all trades, let's try to be a master of some of these trades um, so that we can uh, really elevate ourselves. So we are known as the place to go to for X or for Y, not just a place where you can kind of get a little bit of everything. And so... Uh, eventually, I decided there's two things that this university really prides itself on. One is that it's growing research presence, and that it wanted to become an R1 institution. That led to me establishing something called the Commission uh, to the Run to R1 Commission. And the idea is that we've, we've got to do some a lot of work really quickly to become an R1 by 2027. They do the assessment every every three years, and the next one is in 2024, but we're not ready for that. But by 2027, what would it take to get there? And then, um, and so that was the first commission, and that's our first hope and aspiration, what do we aspire to become. The second thing I discovered working with uh, faculty and staff 
uh, here on our campus and our alumni is we take a lot of pride in our undergraduate experience and about the fact that our students um, do so well when they come here. And we wanted to, but we recognize that there's some students who don't do well. So our freshman retention rate typically is around 77, 75%. That means we lose about 25% of our freshman class every year. This past year, this fall of 2022, uh, we actually had a record retention from the fall of 21 freshman class, so around 80.2% or so. The best we ever had, and we celebrated that, but we look at the opposite of that too. That meant 20% of our freshman class didn't come back. So what would it take to get to 85%? Now, the national average is around 65%, so we're above the average, but the schools we want to be like have retention rates in in the 90s, and we're just barely at 80. So we set another goal of getting first-year retention, which leads into first uh, fourth-year graduation, fifth- mm-hmm. and sixth-year graduation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's a student success commission. And so those are the two components. There's two commissions, one on research and one on student success, that are married together because we don't want to say, let's become a research university at the expense of student success. We don't want to say we want to just focus on student success and, and not do the research. We want to be able to do both of those. There's a third aspect that is kind of related to this, and it's our campus in Round Rock. So we've got a huge opportunity there. We have a 100-acre campus. We've got four buildings up there right now. Uh, But enrollment's been kind of flat. We haven't really grown up there. And so the question is, what do we do in Round Rock? Uh, Recognizing that the city of Austin is growing tremendously. Uh, We're growing quickly. Austin has kind of tapered off in its growth. There's only so much they can do. They're kind of landlocked. Uh, But how could we help the city of Austin and the people who live in Austin have a uh, a viable option for another space up there. What could we do in Round Rock to think through things? So, so we've got another uh, commission that is being formed now to look at what we do in Round Rock and leading forward there. So those are th- some of the uh, key things we're looking at. Ultimately, this university is going to be defined by what it does for its students, graduate and undergraduate students, and then what kind of place is it to live and to work and to learn and to serve, to make it a better place. We recognize that our salaries are a little lower than we wish they were. Uh, There's a lot of uh, red tape that we have to deal with. There's administrative burdens we're trying to uh, get rid of. And so uh, that is, these are kind of things that are going on in the background. They're also part of our hopes and aspirations that we become an easier place to work and to live. And that our, our employees find this to be the best place possible for them to work. Because right now, some of our employees say, well, I can make more money going over here, and my job is easier if I went somewhere over there, and I make a little bit more money, and I'm, I have a better job. And uh, we want to keep all of them. And so we want to not just retain our students, we want to retain our faculty and staff as well. So that's part of that as well. Um, well, I, I want to kind of stay on the enrollment yeah. uh, uh, topic real quick, because I know that, you know, we did welcome uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, freshman class last semester. And are we are, are we as a university planning on um, upping those numbers in the next in the in the fall yeah. the upcoming fall semester? Well, there's a couple things to think about, um, and, and you could say we should increase our enrollment so that we have more resources to pay our faculty and staff more because we are tuition dependent in many ways. We do get money from the state, so we're state-supported. State, There's some state funding that comes in, but a lot of our budget is driven by enrollment. And so you could, and I think this is an incorrect way of doing it, say, well, if we had more students here, we'd have more money and we'd give people raises and uh, we could do more student programming. And that's certainly in the back of the the burner of of the of the meal you're cooking. What's more important to me is that we open the doors to an opportunity for people to get a four-year college degree. Because we think those are, we think that's one of the 
few things you can count on. Like if you get a four-year college degree, that's almost a guaranteed success step for you. And we know that sometimes navigating that as a student can be difficult. Can, you know, students think, well, should I even apply for that? Am I, am I smart enough? Am I good enough? Can I afford to go? So trying to remove all the roadblocks to someone applying, uh, getting accepted, coming here, and then being successful while, while they're here. And so would we grow? Uh, should we grow? Can we grow? I think, yes, we can do all that. Not because we want to have more money, although that would happen as well, but because we think we can provide a really good experience here. And we also think that, um, you know, Round Rock could be part of the solution here. There's a there's a limit to how many people we can actually take in this space. Uh, part of it is housing. We believe that living in a residence hall uh, is a huge indicator of people being successful their first year. They're more likely to be retained. They're more likely to feel engaged. They're more likely to do well in the classroom if they're living on campus. Uh, Our freshman class this year was so big that we couldn't fit everyone in a residence hall. And next year promises to be bigger. Uh, We are, last year, we were the third most popular school as far as applications from high school seniors. Now we're the second most popular. There's only one school that has more applications than us in the state. So we're looking at having, we actually have more applications now than we did at the end of last year. And so we have become a university of, of choice for students. Students are applying to come here uh, and we want to be able to accommodate as many as, as we can. And, and housing right now is kind of the limiting factor. And then it's not just our freshman housing. It's also where will our sophomores and our juniors and seniors live as we Uh, recruit more freshmen as we retain more of them over time the student body will grow and there's limits on how many people can live in the apartments surrounding here or renting houses and so on you're listening to states up ktsw's monthly one-on-one with texas state president kelly damphis you'll hear more of our interview with the president after the break Welcome back to States Up, KTSW's monthly one-on-one with Texas State President Kelly Danfis. Uh, President Danfis, there will be a new policy in place in the fall that only freshmen will be allowed to live on campus. Is there concern there this might affect retention among sophomores? There, there is a concern there. And actually, we had very few upperclassmen or non-freshmen living on campus. We think we had like two or 300 that lived on campus. And it was funny, I seemed to run into a lot of them because they, they said, I won the lottery, I get to stay on campus. So I know there's a real interest in staying on campus, which is why we're building more residence halls. So we have um, the Hilltop Residence Hall that is coming on. That'll bring 900 more beds. Um, and that would just barely meet the needs that we have. So we have another residence hall we're going to start um, working on as well. That's another 900 beds. So we'll be bringing on 1,800 beds. Ultimately, we would like to have more housing on campus for our upperclassmen as well, not just for our freshmen, because we we know there's a real interest there. Um, we also, by the way, um, I saw a lot of stories early on when I got here, because um, I came here in July, and then students started moving into their apartments off campus uh, in August, and I started hearing stories about you know the quality of their of their uh, housing there, and even though I don't control them. Uh, because those are private entities, I still feel responsible for our students. I want to make sure they have great experiences there. Um, I'm going to start working as as closely as I can with our with our private partners who are out in the community and make sure that they're being responsive to our students' needs. Here's an example of what I've heard. Students said, um, oh, I moved into uh, what I thought was a college apartment, but turns out I had 
people like my roommate wasn't a college student. And so in a, that would never happen on a college campus. It wouldn't happen in a traditional college apartment somewhere else, but it's happening here. And so I hope to have the, those kind of conversations with our private partners to make sure that they are, you know, maintaining as much as possible the college student experience on their complexes. We certainly have enough students for them to to, to do that. And then for them also to make sure their students are in an environment that's safe and providing what they need there as well. Um, I I went to a community college where there was the only housing was for out-of-state students. So like I, I was a freshman living in a duplex and it wasn't a very good experience for me. I wasn't a very good student because of it. I was 17 years old living in a duplex with three other guys. And, and I know how valuable living in a residence hall can be. And I know how that can help, um, our students, uh, because it, it's typically a little cheaper to live uh, on campus and, and certainly much more convenient. Um, and we think about that in Round Rock. We have no housing on our campus in Round Rock, so we think, well, should we have housing on campus there? We have space that would allow that uh, our students to live on, on that campus and not have to be searching around the Round Rock community for, for uh, housing as well. There are very, there's a very limited amount yeah. of like uh, courses taught. I mean, it's like the nursing, just nursing, and it's, it's mostly health professions. Okay, health yeah. professions. Um, so would would there also be an effort to increase um, the yeah. programs that are offered there? So there was a time when we tried to do like a lot of things up there, different academic programs, and over time that kind of evolved into mostly being health professions. And we moved towards health professions being mostly up there. And by the way, some of them are still here on this campus. But when we moved towards that being thought of as the health professions campus, the other colleges stopped engaging as much. And it's, it, was, it wasn't a, I don't think, a purposeful decision. It just kind of evolved over time where people said, well, I, well, I don't have to do Round Rock anymore. And I think what you're seeing now, in fact, we have a conversation tomorrow morning um, with our deans to think, rethink, like, what would you do if you could go to Round Rock now that we've been there for 20 years uh, and you've had some experience here? What would you do in Round Rock that you can't do here or what should you do up there that we are doing here that would complement things? And so I think what will happen is we can think about it's been mostly a graduate program up there, a little bit of juniors and seniors classes for some of those degree completions, like nursing is a third and fourth year nursing program is up there. Um, could we start having freshmen and sophomore up there? Uh, there? Yeah, we could if the right programs were up there. Um, and it becomes, um, I think what you have to be careful about is not, again, this is uh, lessons learned over time, trying to deliver the entire catalog of what we offer here up there would be problematic because you wouldn't have enough students, especially at first, to, to fit into each one of the colleges. But maybe one or two colleges say, we're going to go up there and do this. And then uh, and then you can build on that. You kind of build, you have to be very, I think, very thoughtful and strategic about how you grow up there. But you start thinking about what does a freshman take? Well, freshman takes English and math and uh, social science and uh, a couple of sciences. Can you offer a smaller menu of those options for those students at first so you have enough students in each class so that over time you can start to build on that. That's how most universities start anyways. When when mm -hmm. Tex Southwest Texas State Teachers College started years and years ago, we didn't have all the degree offerings. So when you had 3,000 students, you could kind of, you know, you could be really efficient. When you started growing, you could start expand your offerings. And I think that's how we'll do that up there. And so degree offerings, um, housing, food options up there as well. Those are all things that are on the, on the exploratory board for Round Rock. And I'm excited about that because the community of Round Rock wants us, they want to have their university up there and that's how they see it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want as well. Um, well, you know, all of this 
sounds great, but of course the funding is yeah. probably the bottom line. And uh, I know, you know, again, from, from the um, messaging that you've sent out, you know, there's a constant effort to um, secure more funding, whether that be increasing enrollment. Um, but I know that you also, y'all also have, um, you know, goals for faculty and staff pay raises. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been reading about the legislature getting a decent, or having a surplus of funding. And, and I know that the Texas State uh, University System Chancellor has joined other universities in calling for, um, you know, Texas State and, and other universities to to get some of that funding. Do you know, um, do you know if that's one way that one, one avenue that y'all are looking at or, or what are these different avenues of, of revenue um, that are coming into play as we try to achieve some of these goals. Yeah, there's a couple things that were specific things that we're asking for. So you're right. The, uh, the several the system chancellors all wrote a letter to the legislature and made, I think, tried to make very clear why tuition's increasing. The reason tuition's increasing because our expenses are increasing. Our number one expense is personnel, and so when you're recruiting faculty internationally, we're recruiting you're recruiting against other universities that are increasing their pay. And so it used to be you could hire a faculty member for 35000 Now you're paying 50000 or sixty or maybe 70000 for a faculty member. So personnel costs go up, health insurance costs go up. Um, and then, uh, but then just the cost of doing everything, you know, buying light bulbs and, and uh, buying paint and all the other stuff, buying gas for your vehicles. As inflationary pressures, uh, as inflation puts pressure on the university, your expenses go up. But the revenue stays relatively flat. And so, um, from this from the legislature, so to counteract that, uh, universities have raised tuition. So the the burden of the cost of an education, which used to be almost entirely supported and funded by the universe, by the state, has shifted to being almost a a share where half the costs are borne by the state and the other half the cost of uh, the cost is borne by the student. And then. Um, once once legislators around legislatures around the country saw that they said oh we can stop increasing um, uh, support for higher education because they can just charge the students more and so across the country you saw a divestment of investment in higher education and the chickens have come home to roost a little bit now because I think we've hit a point where you just can't add to tuition anymore it's just becoming cost prohibitive and the federal government helps students who have significant financial need by help offering a Pell Grant, for example. Well, right now, a Pell Grant doesn't cover the full cost of attendance at almost every university in the state. And so even though a student might get a grant from the federal government, even that won't cover the cost of education. And so there's a great movement, and I'm really supportive of this, of doubling the Pell Grant. Um, I'd rather do that than try to offer free tuition at certain locations, locations because a, a doubled Pell Grant allows a student to go to school where they want to, not where it's cheapest, and so, um, and so that's that's important. But we're also trying to take a, uh, the initiative to work with the legislature, legislature to say, how can we reduce the burden that parents and students are facing by the state supporting uh, higher education at a greater level? And the timing could hardly be better for us because the the state's sitting on a thirty billion plus dollar surplus, and their task was spending that money or or figuring out ways to get less of a surplus next year. Uh, and so, and I'm sure they're thinking, well, we could cut taxes, which would affect the size of the surplus, but what about next year? Will we run out of money if the economy is not quite the same way? And so on. remember, inflation drives a lot of the revenue because when it costs more, people pay more taxes. And what if what if inflation doesn't happen next year and the revenues are not quite strong and you've cut taxes, then you're 
then you've got the opposite problem, not as much money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is some interest in cutting taxes, but there's also interest in saying, hey, we've got a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invest in the infrastructure, and the infrastructure can be public ed, uh, common ed, you know, K-12, and also in higher education as well. And uh, I think there's a real appetite for that in a way that hasn't been there before. And so we've gone back to them, uh, the systems have gone back and said, we will uh, not raise tuition for a couple of years if you give us um, some of that surplus money that we can distribute. And, and in a way we're saying, we, you know, because we would have to raise tuition to make ends meet, uh, but if we got more money from the state, we wouldn't do that. So that's a, uh, a proposal that I think was, was heard, and I think that preliminarily we're hearing some good success about that. So that's the systems have made that request, but the universities also have the opportunity to make requests as well. And um, and so we have. So I've gone up there uh, several times in the fall. I'll go up there uh, several times in the spring. During this legislative session, remember, we're just at the beginning here in January. It'll end sometime in early summer. Um, but I've been advocating for the needs that Texas State has. And so we know that per student, our funding at the university has always been at the low end. And I'm not sure what the history of that is, but we have always received less than other research universities. And so I asked asked for uh, $50 million just to kind of get us to the middle of the pack. Now it'd be $25 million a year, but with that kind of money, that could really help us uh, maintain our momentum in student success and research, our research initiatives. But um, so that's kind of a big ask, and I'm not sure we'll get that, but it's a, a big opportunity to get there. We're also asking for some other pots of money. We've asked for um, money to support our student success center. So as we invest in helping students um, with the non-academic part of life, like just we have so many first-generation students, we have so many Pell-eligible students, we have so many students who come with uh, different kinds of needs that we can address those needs outside the classroom if we had more personnel, if we had uh, people who could, you know, serve as that go-to person to help someone get through a, whatever challenging circumstance they're facing. So we're going to stand up a student success center. So I've asked for money to fund that. Uh, now, even if we don't get that money from the state, we still think it's important. So we're still going to stand up a student success center. But I love the state to partner with us to build that out. And then we've got some really important projects that the that the university. Um, sponsors that do an important service. We've asked for money for them. So the student uh, school, sa- uh, Texas School Safety Center, which mm-hmm. provides mm-hmm. training for um, for uh, schools to make sure they are as safe as possible. The Alert Program, mm-hmm. which re- which trains police officers on how to respond to a rapidly respond to some kind of shooting or mass casualty situation. Then we have a forensic science center that goes in and helps. Uh, identify bodies after a mass shooting situation. All we wish none of these things were 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 needed, but they are, and we want to make them even more uh, capable to do more. For example, you might think that we do training for schools and police departments, one-time training for them, uh, but should we go back and check to make sure that they've actually implemented some of the things we've done? There's no follow-up procedure in place. Well, we could do follow-up, but that takes funding to hire someone to do the follow-up. And and, uh, there may be some other issues that we need to have funding as well. So we want, we would love for the state to help us fund and expand the capacity of all three of those programs to to improve. And so if, if we're successful and we get some of that money from the state to, to um, uh, supplement the efforts we're doing, we can, you know, we've already committed to not raise tuition this year. Uh, we would love to not raise tuition next year. If that money comes in from the state, we can still continue to do the things we're doing and, and actually do them more. Uh, but we're also in the background thinking about 
let's not count on getting money from the state. Oh, let's hope we get it, but hope's not a strategy. So let's think strategically, and going back to my word of the year, what can we stop doing that we started doing a while back? And I, I don't even want to mention anything because people get nervous. But, but let's say that we've got something we're doing, and let's say we're spending uh, $300,000 a year doing that thing. And like nobody thinks it's valuable, but we just do it because it's a habit. And say, well, let's stop doing it. And the person who's running it, we're not going to lay them off. We can have them do something else. But let's let's take that money and put it into a student success center. Uh, and um, because that's valuable and this other thing wasn't as valuable. And so I think we'll be looking at some of that as well through the hopes and aspirations high and the task forces and the commissions. We'll be looking at things not just to start doing or to invest more in, but actually to stop doing as well. Mm-hmm. So we can do some of that ourselves. Um, I think it's uh, important as we think about a partnership with the state, the legislature, that we do our own part as well, that we don't just keep asking for more money. We we should also be saying, oh, and by the way, we're doing our part. We're going to stop doing this thing over here and invest more over on this side as well. Um, and, so, and so we're looking at uh, cost-saving measures and also revenue generation. So this is um, it's just thinking about this for a little bit. We have very few international students on our campus, relatively few comp- considering the size of the university. What would it take to get more international students here First off, that opens up uh, greater access to a four-year college degree from American University. These students are looking for them anyways. If they came here, they pay out-of-state tuition. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of revenue can be generated there. So if you just double the number of international students on our campus, that would provide a lot of revenue that we could use to spend on, let, let's say those are all graduate students, uh, all the, the tuition that they, that they generate can be used towards providing resources for undergraduates. And so looking at ways to generate more revenue and to cut our expenses so we can be more efficient so we can spend it where we want to spend it. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are hard. Generating more revenue is not as complicated. Cutting back on, on efforts can be complicated. Sometimes people see, oh, that's my job, and mm-hmm. if you eliminate that, then I'm out of a job. And so we have to make sure that people understand that we've got plenty of jobs for people to do. That no one's going to lose their job over this. We just want to stop investing in the program, and we would just move you from here to there. Now you've got a similar job in a different area. Uh, that may be even more valuable to you in time. So, yeah. Well, as long as student media is safe. Uh, well, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll put, I'll make a note on that. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, we, yeah, we're already out of time. So, oh, um, fast when you're it fun. does, yeah, when you're talking about the numbers. Um, okay, so I guess we'll leave on a on a note of of um, maybe some kind of pep talk for. Uh, student, you know, we're at the beginning of the semester, sure. still kind of at the beginning of the semester. So what words of advice would you give for students and staff um, as we are, you know, starting to get uh, fully into the spring semester? If I was going to give a piece of advice for any student, it's just about going to class and showing up. That's about life's all about. And so just kind of knuckle through and recognizing that, boy, we're almost to spring break. And after spring break, then things kind of lighten up a little bit. And, uh, and work your way towards the summer. So that's the first thing is about for students. But for faculty and staff, uh, the pep talk is that this university is already a great university, but we're about to do some things that are really exciting. And the best part for faculty and staff is that they should feel a part of that future, that they should feel like they have a voice here. And that's been my mantra from the very beginning. I want the faculty and staff to believe, not just to be told this, but to actually believe that they have a role to play in their future, that they're, they have a chance to be self-actualized, that they can actually say, hey, I think we should do this. And they should feel like they should be able to talk to their supervisor and say, hey, would you make sure that someone's talking about this? This is why I do the 
Kindle with KDAMP and the coffee with Kelly so I can just get together with faculty and staff in a kind of a hope, I hope non-threatening way so students and faculty and staff can just talk to me about issues that they're facing. But each one of the commissions and task forces we have have also had the kind of town hall listening sessions or even virtual where people fill out surveys. We want to hear from the faculty and staff about what their concerns are so we can address them. And um, so we have this one task force called Administrative Burdens. And we just kind of opened the door up and said, if, you know, if there's something you could change about the university, what would you change? Well, we had 746 uh, recommendations. Some of them are repeats, so it's not all unique. So most of the good recommendations didn't come from the cabinet. I hope they're not listening. Uh, but it came from employees who are in the weeds, the boots in the ground, who are seeing things and say, did you know that I had to fill up four forms to change someone from this kind of employee to this kind of employee? Well, no, I didn't know that. Maybe we can get it down to one form. There's a reason we're doing four forms, uh, but maybe we can make, make that more streamlined. And that goes back to not just paying people more, but making their lives easier can make their jobs more enjoyable. And so I want the faculty and staff to believe, to really believe that they play a role in creating the future of Texas State University. And I'm, I couldn't be more bullish on where we are and what our opportunities are. And I hope that people are catching the excitement as well because there's a lot of great things happening here. And uh, we're doing everything we can in my office to make sure people know what's going on. That's why that hopes and aspirations high. It was a long email. I know how people have slogged through it if they wanted to. Uh, but we're looking for other opportunities like this, this radio program, but also our video series, The, the Current, and some other things are going on trying to make sure people know what, what we're thinking about in JCK and make sure that we're not just operating in a vacuum up there. Well, that's all the time we have. Kelly, thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much. You've been listening to States Up, KTSW's monthly one-on-one with Texas State President Kelly Danfis. You can find this episode on the KTSW blog at ktswblog.net. I'm your host, Jill Amit. Thanks again for joining us.